You know, this is interesting because Nehemiah is an extension of history here. And this is fascinating because he records all of the problems he's having with this wall building business. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. This is Bible Discovery, and we are discovering the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It is great. Corey and Ryan help us today. Corey? Today we are going to be taking a look at some of the history that has happened in between 2 Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Ryan? Today I'm talking about the influence that women had in the palaces in ancient times, specifically the queen and queen mother. And this is interesting because you've got all kinds of women in the Bible that are mentioned and brought up. I mean, anyway, I don't want to get off on that. Tell us what you're doing. Today it's called Rebuilding the Walls. All right, get your Bible out. Get your Bible guide out. The Bible's the most important book of all. And let's read and learn what Jesus Christ is saying to us today. Nehemiah 4, verses 1 through 9. But it so happened, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads, and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity, and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work." Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Nehemiah chapter 1 to 4. This is amazing as we continue going through the scripture. You know, I use that word a lot, amazing, don't I? I use the word exciting a lot because I love going through the word of God and the Bible. And the book of Nehemiah is a historical continuation of the book of Ezra. It records the restoration, not only of Jerusalem under Nehemiah's leadership, but also the restoration of the people. Now, Nehemiah lived in ancient Persia and held the prestigious and trusted position of a cupbearer to the king. In the 20th year, 
of Artaxerxes' reign, the king of Persia allowed Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem to help rebuild its wall. Now, throughout this rebuilding, there would be remarkable occurrences. Even though Jerusalem temporarily lay in ruins, God's purpose to establish his name there remained. You see, if Jerusalem was ever to be an important city again, a respectable city, it needed to have a wall. A wall represented the ability of the people to protect themselves. And Jerusalem had been completely humiliated. Now, it was time to rebuild and allow repairs of the city and repairs of the people. Repairs of the city and repairs of the people. Take your Bible guide. Turn to today's passage. This is a great one. It's outstanding. And as we look at this, I want to say you can write to us or call us if you don't have one. Let me thank you. If you have written to us with an offering, we really appreciate that. Another way to do that is go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and uh, you can also click on the page. You're seconds away from joining us and it'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. We trust the work of the Holy Spirit in you. God will help us if you pray. And so pray and ask the Holy Spirit. And then it'll take you to a PDF page where you can download it just like it's printed. And uh, many people do that. It's a great way overseas for you to get a hold of it in Britain and Australia, also in South Africa and other parts of Africa, Zambia, and some of the other places. Great for you to get a hold of it. Today, setting watch, okay? This is a really good one. Nehemiah 4, verses 1 through 9. And Father, today we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would help us to hear you. Help us to know you. And as we ask you today to reveal your Holy Spirit to us, we pray, Father, that you would open our hearts to see what the scripture says, that we can change and be more like you. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen. Okay. Let's look at the scripture. It's Nehemiah chapter four, verse one. It says, here's what it says. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall and he was furious and indignant and he mocked the Jews and he spoke before his brethren and his army of Samaria. And he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burnt? Now Tobiah and the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break it down, the stone of their wall. Boy, that's a lot of words there. Nehemiah records the mocking words of Sam Ballot and Tobiah against the Jews. <laughs> you see, mockery is commonly aimed at God's people. Now, there are people who know that. You, some of you know that because you are the victims of mockery. I was and I am. And there are people mocking me right now as they watch on television. They say, who is that weird guy, that crazy guy? Well, that's me. And I'm just a guy. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of everything. And he has saved me. He has made it right for me. And he gave me the gift of eternal life. And you can have it too if you invite him into your life. So, beloved, when we see this and when we understand this, that mockery is a part 
today in the time of grace. It's a part of serving God. Then we begin to understand things like the persecuted church and other things. We begin to realize it. So let's carry on. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O God. Hear, O our God. For we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Man, that's what a powerful prayer. We can pray that even today. Nehemiah prayed to God for relief from the mockery. We must pray for our enemies and their mockery of us. Beloved, I grew up and I took my Bible to school and I lost countless Bibles. People tore them up, ripped them apart, stole them, did everything else. But I still, I bring, you know, I made, I bought more new Bibles that year, I think, than any other year. But it's important to understand that it doesn't matter because no matter how many Bibles they tear up, they can't get rid of them because it's God's wonderful word. And beloved, God will help us if we pray and say, Lord, help them to come to know you so they will stop tearing up your word. So they will stop making fun of you. So they'll stop, Lord. This is what we need to do. And so let's continue to pray that way, even when we pray for the persecuted church. Now let's go back to scripture and learn more. The Bible says in Nehemiah 4.9, or four, six to nine. So we build the wall, we built it, we did. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. They were doing this thing. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to close, that they became angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Now, what's, what, did, what did he do? Well, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. Oh, I love that part. No, no, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. I want to tell you, Nehemiah knew what he was doing. Nehemiah and the people prayed to God for safety and strength. As we serve the Lord, we should remember to pray for each other. Listen carefully. And especially pray for the persecuted church. The persecuted church. 360 million people, according to last year's statistic, are persecuted daily. And we need to pray for so let's do that right now. Father, we pray for China. We pray for India. We pray for Nigeria. We pray for Africa. We pray for America. We pray for Canada. We pray for Britain. We pray for Europe. We pray, Lord, for South America. Lord, we pray for Central America. We pray for your persecuted church. As they are persecuted, Lord, I pray that you would continue to grow the church as you have done miraculously in Brazil, as you have done stunningly in other parts of the world. Father, help them and save them today. In Jesus' name, and we all said together, Amen.
Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Now, you'll notice that as we've moved from 2 Chronicles and then right into Ezra and Nehemiah, there is history that has just been kind of glossed over. And of course, that is the falling of the Babylonian Empire to the Persian Empire or the Median Persian Empire. There is a lot of history there. and We're going to get into a lot of it when we get, for example, to the Old Testament book of Daniel specifically, because he has a front row seat to that. Uh, but I wanted to focus in today on something called the Cyrus Cylinder, because what's happened in this history is that Persia has taken over Babylon. Babylon was the nation that exiled Judah and the Judeans in the first place. And this king, this Persian king Cyrus, releases the Israelites to go back to Judah and Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. But it turns out historically, he didn't just do this for the Israelites and the Judeans. He did this for many people under his care. Take a look at this artifact that teaches us about it. The fall of the Neo-Babylonian Empire was finalized by the takeover of her capital city, Babylon. This takeover occurred in 539 BC by the Persian Empire and its unifying King Cyrus the Great. The event is recorded in the biblical book of Daniel, and by 5th and 4th century BC and 1st century AD historians. According to these sources, Babylon the city was holding a festival. Daniel adds that King Belshazzar, who history explains was co-regent with his father Nabonidus, was feasting with the precious metal cups and dishes plundered from the Jerusalem temple. The people were either extremely disgruntled with Belshazzar and Nabonidus or properly terrified of Cyrus's army because the city was taken peacefully. The military marched right in, took the palace, and began reforms, rebuilding, and reorganizing in the name of Cyrus. What happened next was of massive biblical significance. Cyrus the Great commissioned captive peoples to return to their homelands with their idols and cult utensils to rebuild the sanctuaries of their gods. This is recorded in the Bible several times. Isaiah the prophet foretold it, and Ezra and Second Chronicles record it. This edict allowed Ezra to return and rebuild the Jerusalem temple with the previously plundered temple treasures. The work of modern history has verified the takeover of Babylon by Cyrus, his policy of releasing captives with their religious artifacts, and that he created an official edict that presumably would have been empire-wide. This has been verified through the study of the Cyrus Cylinder. The cylinder was discovered in Babylon in 1879 by an archaeologist working for the British Museum, where it's still on permanent display. The cylinder was a foundation inscription placed in the wall of the city that Cyrus had ordered repaired. Its text is incomplete due to erosion, but records Cyrus's policy. 
In today's world, the Cyrus Cylinder's message has been somewhat retooled to fit with the modern agenda of human rights. Now, while valuing human life certainly is a biblical value, the cylinder does not reveal a humanitarian King Cyrus. His motives appear to have been religious, political, and propagandistic. Cyrus was the king of the world, the best servant of the gods, the most righteous, according to his cylinder. Human rights likely had nothing to do with his decision to rebuild temples. Nevertheless, the cylinder has a captivating history. A missing fragment was reunited to it in 1972, and in 2010, two fragments from copies of the cylinder were discovered in the archives of the British Museum, demonstrating that Cyrus's edict was likely copied and spread throughout the whole empire. One of the amazing things about the Cyrus Cylinder specifically is that not only does it give us confirmation that the Bible is recording accurate history, it talks about Cyrus the Great, Cyrus King of Persia, releasing the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem. So not only is the Bible telling us the truth about Cyrus's policy, but the Cyrus Cylinder then adds to our contextual information that Cyrus actually enacted this as a policy policy to the exiled peoples that were now under his control. Now, this was a way of kind of appeasing his, his, his new people, his newly conquered people, you know, giving them a little bit of religious freedom so that in turn they would be more loyal to him. Very interesting. The Cyrus Cylinder is fascinating. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff I really enjoy, Corey. That's excellent. Uh, okay, Ryan, you're up. All right, well, today I want to talk about the influence that the queen and queen mother had in the ancient world. And to do this, I want to draw your attention to a passage in Nehemiah chapter 2. And here, Nehemiah, who's a Jew, is asking the king for permission to go back to rebuild his native city. Well, the king does give his permission, but the Bible says that he does so with the queen sitting beside him. Now, that's an interesting note, and it might be that the queen actually influenced the king's decision. So today's study involves the influence that high-ranking women had in the palace at that time. Check it out. Just as God elevated the Jewish Esther to a position of great power and authority in the foreign land of Persia, so too would he elevate Nehemiah. And the rising up of both individuals was for similar purpose, to help secure the future of the Israelites. While Esther became queen to King Xerxes, Nehemiah would become cupbearer to Xerxes' son and heir to the throne, Artaxerxes. The very fact that Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king means that he was a trusted advisor and high-ranking Persian official. And as the one who tasted the king's wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned, it also means that Nehemiah enjoyed a position close enough to the king that he was able to communicate freely with him. Still, what Nehemiah was about to do was very risky business, because the etiquette of the Persian court was very strict. Nevertheless, he entreats the king to send him back to his own city so that he can rebuild it. To Nehemiah's great relief, the king, with the queen at his side, grants his request. This detail the Bible gives regarding the presence of the queen is by no means irrelevant. In fact, it may suggest that she positively influenced the king. This is certainly in line with the traditional role of the queen, which was to influence her husband to follow a kinder and gentler way. But just who was this woman? In regards to her title, the Hebrew word for queen in this passage is used only here and in Psalm chapter 45 verse 9 and means royal bride. 
It's actually a loan word from Akkadian, which literally means woman of the palace. The Aramaic equivalent is found only in Daniel chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, and verse 23, where it is translated as wives and concubines. Although it was customary for the Persian emperors to have several wives and concubines, only one was elevated to the position of queen. As far as her identity is concerned, Titius, a Greek who lived at the Achaemenid court, informs us that the name of Artaxerxes' queen was Demaspia, and that he had at least three concubines. Significantly, the Achaemenid court was notorious for the great influence exercised by the royal women, whether that influence be positive or negative. Thus, this queen likely had a great positive influence on Artaxerxes, which certainly would have helped Nehemiah's cause. Also, since Esther was the queen of the previous king Xerxes, and stepmother to Artaxerxes, it's very possible that she also influenced the present king and queen to be favorably disposed to the Jews. Ahasuerus died only 13 years after Esther became queen, so she no doubt lived far into the reign of her stepson Artaxerxes. Thus, in the ancient world, the queen, as the chief woman of the palace, greatly influenced their kings. In Nehemiah's case, God clearly had already gone before his people, the Israelites, to make their paths straight for the return to the Promised Land. So the Lord God raised up both Esther and Nehemiah to powerful and influential positions in the Persian Empire, which helped to secure the future of the Israelites. And it seems Esther's influence might have even continued on into the time of Nehemiah. It could be that Esther, as stepmother and perhaps even queen mother to Artaxerxes, would have had a very positive influence on both him and his queen. And in turn, Artaxerxes' queen would have probably also positively influenced him, as the Bible seems to hint at in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 6. The accounts of Esther and Nehemiah remind us that God is sovereign and therefore is always in control, even in the face of evil. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting as you look at women in the Bible. The first five heroes of Exodus are women. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've got Deborah, you've got all of these people. Of course, Eve is the the famous mother of all, and she came from man. And so it's really interesting as you begin to look through this uh, and see some things. Mm -hmm. And uh, when the women get off on evil, it's really bad. But when they are off on righteousness, it's really good. Mm -hmm. And yes. so men, we don't have a chance. We don't have a chance. But the women, it's very, very interesting. Excellent. Janice? Well, that's what happens to us as men and women. When we get our eyes off of God, we tend towards evil, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So looking at this, the wall defended against the enemies is um, Nehemiah chapter four that we focused on today. And I called this rebuilding the walls. And um, I looked at it at a little bit different way. I looked at it from this standpoint. We see here Nehemiah going in with the people, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, and they're being mocked by Sanballat and Tobiah. Tobiah even goes as far as saying, hey, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, uh, it will break down their stone walls. And so this is what's going on around them all the time, the threat of the enemy. And it made me think about uh, our own lives uh, when we come to the Lord, or maybe you haven't made that decision to come to God because you look at your life and what you see is a broken down wall, broken down dreams, stuff that you've done, stuff that's been done to you, and you just think that you're unfixable, that how are you ever going to get this accomplished? And then if you have given your life to the Lord and, and you're still having those difficulties, which you will, 
um, when you have those difficulties, it just feels like everything is coming against you, and you you go you you know you try to help and fix something in your life, and 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 somebody comes in and says, well, who do you think you are, or whatever. I I don't I I don't want to ramble here today. I think if I'm speaking to you, you know exactly what I'm trying to convey today through God's Holy Spirit and through His Word, that we can look at our lives as a devastation, things and choices that we've made, or things and circumstances that we have just been put in, because it's life. I want you to know that you need not be discouraged. You shouldn't give up. Don't give up on God because we can't do it ourselves. We can't fix the wall on our own. Even Nehemiah recognized this and, and through every struggle, through every challenge, he prayed and the people prayed. And you will even see in this chapter that Nehemiah um, encourage the people by reminding them, remember the Lord, great and awesome. And this is what we need to do. If we didn't need a savior, we could do it all on our own. But God knew that we would need a savior to help not only to forgive our sins, because only the Lord Jesus Christ was worthy to do that. He was perfect, is perfect, and we are not. So God sent that redemption for us to help us with our sin. We can't do it on our own. That's the point. And when we recognize that and we humble ourselves before God and say, please forgive me. I believe that you came and that you died on the cross willingly, but you didn't stay dead. You rose again on the third day in the flesh. And that same resurrection will happen with us as well. God promises us everlasting life. These are the things, these are the areas in our life. Listen, there is nothing that you have done that is too terrible, that is too difficult, or anything that has been done to you that is too terrible and that is too difficult that God cannot help you through. It will not be an easy journey. I will not lie to you. Becoming a Christian isn't all roses and butterflies and blue skies. The enemy will come in People will come in, just like Sanballat and Tobiah did, to mock and say, who do you think you are? You can't do that. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Nehemiah said, remember, it's the Lord. He is great. He is awesome. Follow him. We talked about setting watch today, and as we do that, I would like to invite you to Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 3.30 to 4.30, where we have a prayer meeting for you live on Facebook and YouTube. Just look for Bible Discovery TV. You can also join us on our website, 
That's where we're live as well. And we want to pray for you. But today, as we pray, let's focus on the persecuted church and pray. Lord, we pray for the global church, especially those who are persecuted in Jesus' name. 